Knee injuries are common in sports today. We hear about the ACL or the anterior cruciate ligament, which is crucial to the knee's stability. Is it a career-ending injury or is it a life opportunity? Hello and welcome to the Youth Sports Safety Update, produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program, or JSMP, in Jacksonville, Florida. JSMP is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. I'm your host today, Jim Mackey, Administrative Consultant to JSMP and a seasoned athletic trainer. Please subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at jaxsmp.com for more information about youth sports safety. Joining us today is an athletic trainer and physical therapist who provides rehabilitative services with Brooks Rehabilitation here in Jacksonville, Florida, and with the Jacksonville Jaguars professional football team. He also served as, as an adjunct professor in the University of North Florida Masters of Athletic Training Program. Please welcome Fred Baldwin. Hello, Fred. Good morning. Good morning, Jim. Fred, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just to kind of get to know you a little better at the beginning here, and then we'll dig into the ACL. And tell us a little bit about your story, your background, uh, how you got to uh, where you are today. And Well, Jim, I'm uh, born and raised from New Orleans, Louisiana. Went to LSU, go Tigers, and um, always wanted to be a physical therapist. Never really had any exposure to athletic training except for at LSU when I had to take basics of athletic training as part of my uh, bachelor's degree. And I loved it. So I kind of switched gears a little bit and did more on the athletic training side of things and um, became uh, an athletic trainer, took my test when I was in PT school in University of St. Augustine. And after that, I stayed in the area um, and worked for an orthopedic group here. I got a lot of experience with orthopedic injuries and post-op but I still liked my athletic training background. So I would still help cover our high school football games and practices and any other sporting events that I could. And then I guess fast forward a little bit to now, um, like you said, I work at um, Brooks Rehabilitation. I do a couple of roles for them. I am a physical therapist at our center for sports therapy. Uh, I also work at our motion analysis center where we look at biomechanics of landings and squattings and jumps uh, for post-op ACL, and I serve as our sports program coordinator. A lot of hats to wear there. Okay, so Fred, share with me, uh, what would you say has been a personal failure, obstacle, or challenge, maybe in your professional career uh, or in rehabbing somebody that you've uh, learned from that's really helped you along the way? Um, Jim, there's a couple of them, and I think we all go through failures at some point in our life, um, either professionally or um uh, personally, sometimes you take some of the professional ones personal. Uh, I had, I guess, kind of why I'm talking to you today about ACL and why I'm so passionate about it is I had a friend who um, I did her rehab. I was an early therapist, um, but she kept re-tearing her ACL. So I rehabbed her for her first one. She would re-tear. Rehab her for a second one. She would re-tear. So I kind of took that personally. Like, why, why is this happening to my patient? What am I doing wrong in her rehab? I wanted to make sure that this didn't happen again to any of my other patients. Excellent. And that, that can be very frustrating when uh, they tear the same one multiple times or they tear the right one, then they tear the left one. And then you want to yeah. say, how about ping pong? Would that be a good sport for you to pursue? Yeah, right. <laughs> or maybe something uh, backgammon. So anyway, well, what is something you wish you knew along the way before you got there? 
something you wish somebody would have taught you or shared with you along the way? If we're talking about ACL rehab is trust the process. It is a long process and it's, it's long for the patient, but it's also long for the rehab clinician. Um, we get a little bored sometimes because we're doing things over and over again, but we need to make sure we hit certain milestones and steps in order for us to go further. Are there uh, some resources that you might want to share, um, special books that you benefited from, or maybe just wisdom from a mentor uh, that's helped you to, to shape you in your career? Um, I, I've used many resources. I think one of the best things uh, uh, to give you ideas is, Instagram, even though I'm an old guy, I still look at Instagram a lot, um, Facebook, of course, and look at what other therapists and what other athletic trainers and strength coaches are doing. And I might not 100% use what they're doing, but it might send me around to a different path than I was already thinking. So it gives us a lot of ideas. I try to tell the students at UNF, I can't teach you every exercise that's possible because I don't know every exercise that's possible. I learn new exercises every week when I watch some of the clinicians that I work with, uh, when I go into the training room with the Jags, or if I see something um, on Instagram, being able to be open to all these other uh, great resources that we have now of other people sharing their ideas is something that I. Right. And that's a good positive in our profession. I think uh, we're, we're not uh, always provincial, meaning keeping everything to ourselves. We like to learn from each other. What are tips of the trade and that? And we learn that sometimes some of the basic things that we've been doing forever, sometimes we give them new names. I'll go yeah. back to a real old story. Um, the athletic trainer, that was my mentor. Um, we learned from him. He started out uh, a lot of the rehabs with a, a concrete block. And it was started with four inches and he went up to the six inches and had the person doing step ups on that. Well, about 10 years later, so somebody said, oh, we found this new fascinating thing called closed chain rehab. And I uh, said, you know, we were doing this on a cinder block 10, 15 years ago. And that <laughs> sometimes they just add funny names to them or, or new names that like it's uh, all these different uh, terms, analytics, whatever they've got for them. Uh, we can we can learn from the basics, but we can learn from one another and uh, in sharing ideas. So let's jump into um, ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament rehab. What what what's new? What are you learning? Um, sometimes the Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, but I'm sure with uh, there's always different ways of of looking and treating and motivating and training people along the way. Yeah, I think uh, the the newer I shouldn't say newer, but the wave that we we're going to more, especially here at Brooks Center for Sports Therapy, is um, having to do with protocols. Um, each surgeon has their own protocol on what they want you to to do with their patients, and um, sometimes they give you uh, free reign, and they just want certain milestones hit, and others are very strict on it. Um, so if we get free reign, we have our own we call it an ACL report card. So we're looking for certain milestones. And I think it's really important for the patient because we can give them an objective goal to hit before they can do certain things. So if they're going to have to, uh, they want to discharge the brace. They, you know, they love to get out of that brace as soon as they can. So we're giving them certain things that they can do and that they can measure themselves to see how close they are to getting out of the brace. And we have that for a lot of different things. So for 
being able to run in the alter G or being able to run on the treadmill to be start to do plyometrics. We have these criterion based goals for them and it helps uh, them understand that where the goalposts are and we're not moving the goalposts. We don't look at them and say, well, your quad looks good. Well, what does looking good mean? We want an objective measure on how much quad strength and what the deficit is compared to the other side. People are not cookie cutter, so you can't rehab them like a cookbook. And there are, I, I love your term you're using there, I believe, the objective, uh, the objective milestones along the way. So one, a patient has something to aim for, because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it all the time. But if you've got something you're aiming for, you're trying to get accomplished. Um, and then if they're slow to get there, you can motivate, you can encourage, you can redirect uh, their goals. Sometimes it's necessary in, in that. So uh, you mentioned trust a few minutes ago, but just building trust in that patient is so very important. So where do you start with someone when you begin their rehab uh, to build trust? Because they're probably crushed. Uh, if they're an athlete, they think their season's over. They think this may be the end of the journey. Uh, where are we going from here? So how do you how do you start with someone or where do you start with someone? Communication. Opening up that communication, letting them know what your expectations are for them and uh, their possibilities. Uh, it's, it's something we don't like to really talk about much, but not everybody returns back to their prior level of sport. You know, we want to tell everybody, yeah, it's going to be okay, and you're going to be able to go back on the field and perform just like you did before. But that's not always the case. So, not giving them false hope, but still trying to motivate them to do their best. So, I think that's really important early on. Is so, don't lie to them. There, there was a something very recently. I want to say it was uh, Alabama's receiver towards ACL in the national championship game. And they had a quote from their surgeon saying that he would be able to run his sub four four forty. I would hope he could, but that's not something that always happens. I think one of the biggest things for us that happened that probably one of the worst things I should say is Adrian Peterson coming back in eight months and doing so well, because that's not typical. And you have, some high school athletes or even like weekend warriors. You'll get somebody who's like a 37 year old accountant that comes in who thinks he's going to get back to playing flag football on the weekends in six months. And you try to explain to them, well, Adrian Peterson had rehab in the training room for multiple, multiple hours a day, every day of the week. And he was a crazy good athlete to begin with. So his strength level was phenomenal to start with. When Dr. Andrews got in and looked at his ACL, he said that was the only thing that was damaged was just the ACL. There was no cartilage damage. There was no, nothing else going on in the knee. And then you have someone come in who is a patient and they're coming to therapy maybe two or three hours a week. And there's a lot of time for them to be doing their other stuff, but they have a job to do. They have to do their 40 hour work week and they're sitting down. They're not able to put the work in as a professional or collegiate athlete could. So to try to compare yourself to a professional athlete is probably not the best way for you to go about um, getting self-motivation because you probably won't equal to that athlete and you'll get a little down on yourself. 
Right. And you're talking about one, having honest communication, very realistic goals going in, understanding that an Adrian Peterson uh, started at a totally different level. Uh, now his knee was damaged, but started at a totally different fitness level. And again, the opportunity to spend his life rehabbing and that. And now we've got the athlete, um, fails me right now, the running back with the Los Angeles Rams, who was almost a six month uh, rehab. And he's back at full function and playing again. And people are always asking those questions. Why not me? Why can't I get there? And you've, you've answered that question in a lot of ways. But it is honest communication, being very realistic with the goals and the outcomes. It's very laying out that objective milestones that you're looking at. And then it gives you something to build upon from that. So um, I think that's a great uh, answer there that you've, how do you face those challenges of building trust along that journey? Let's talk about, let's talk about the NFL and then let's talk about the the weekend warrior there for just a minute. Um, what's the NFL culture like for players, uh, coaches, staff in their rehab process? What? Well, it's a little bit different for me since I'm their PT consultant. Um, I'm not there on a day-to-day basis. I go in and help out as needed. Um, typically when the team goes away and they have Athletes that still need rehab, I'll stay back with those athletes and do their rehab. Uh, it's a it's a little bit different than, as you can imagine, than someone coming into a PT clinic. One, you have access to any type of tool um, to get them better, no matter the cost at the NFL level. When you're out in the real world with uh, in a clinic. It's, it's hard to justify spending money on some of the things that you would like to have. Also, the athlete is with you for hours on end. So it's not just a, I'm going to see you on Monday and Thursday, and then I hope you do all your exercises on your own. It's they're coming in at eight and they're going to work with you for an hour and a half. They'll go to meetings and then come back to you after lunch. You're going to work with them for an hour and a half, and you might see them before they leave the building at five or six and work with them again for an hour. So they're going to get that rehab in five, six, seven days a week. And all that extra work they put in pays off later on down the the road. Um, I like to tell patients that your first six to eight weeks of rehab dictates how you're going to do in six to eight months. If you work hard and you get all those milestones with six to eight weeks, you have a good chance of being where you want to be at six to eight months. And with the NFL, they have the opportunity to work with them so much that at six to eight weeks, they're where the, exactly where they want to be, sometimes ahead of schedule. Because they are such a high-level athlete, uh, one, they have to get back to that level and beyond where they were before they can compete because sometimes we want to see, well, why can't they come back during the season and it's a pro athlete, they get put on injured reserve because they're getting ready for the next year as well. Uh, so it's a, it's a long-term process, as you say, and you know, your, your outlook determines your outcome. And if you have a positive outlook and work hard in that first six to eight weeks, you will see a more positive outlook and outcome as you approach the next six to eight months. So talk a little bit about the, um, uh, the Jimmy's and Joe's, of the uh, weekend warrior flag football bunch that uh, the difference in what you see in them, uh, you did explain a little bit. They may only come in once, twice a week. Uh, you get in their home exercise program and 
you and I both know that with many people, how you do your home exercise and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a little bit here and there, you know, but we work harder when somebody's standing over us. So, yeah. Um, I, I tell the weekend warriors that I try to compare it to myself. If I were to tear my ACL, I probably wouldn't try to go back to anything highly competitive before a year. We want to give that graph the best opportunity to fully hear. And then it depends also not to get too technical with your graph choice. Some graphs physiologically heal faster than other graphs. They all have their pros and cons. Um, But remodeling of a ligament can take up to two years before it's a hundred percent. Now we're not going to hold people out for two years. They're going to lose two years of um, their competition. So one year is kind of like the, all right, this is the the milestone and we can, depending on how they do with their strength and their biomechanics and their um, we do a uh, kind of like a, a psychological test on them to make sure that they are ready. They don't have any fear of being re-injured or their fear is very low. Then they can go back a little bit sooner than that 12 months. Uh, but for a weekend warrior, I try to, to convince them, let's take this slow. I know you're not being able to do your exercises every day as we would in, uh, like. Um, there's no point rushing it back. You're not going to get a million-dollar contract for playing flag football. You're paying out of pocket because your insurance company only gave you 25 visits. Let's do what we can and, in the clinic, and you need to do the stuff on your own and make sure that you're doing it consistently. Okay, let's talk a little bit, get a little technical here for just a minute. Uh, what are you seeing in the graphs these days? Um, patella tendon graphs, uh, autographs, allographs? It really depends on the surgeon and um, the age. So, you know, we're typically, the, the allograph was very common and some younger athletes when I first came in to the rehab world in the mid two thousands, but they had a high uh, retail rate because these athletes did really well with their strength and their jumping. Um, Cause they didn't have the patellar tendon removed. They didn't have a hamstring tendon removed. They were able to get their strength back relatively quickly, but the graft wasn't fully healed internally. So they've, kind of going away, most surgeons going away from an oleograph from a younger competitive individual. Now, if they're a weekend warrior or like thirties and forties, that's typically the graph of choice. Um, You don't have a comorbidity of being removed someplace else. You're not really going back to competition very quickly. So you can have the time for it to heal. Okay. Just to give a little bit of, uh, and correct me if my definition is wrong here, but I view the autograph as something that that's my autograph. That's something that came out of me. And then yes. an allograph for the public is something that came from somewhere else. It might be harvested from a cadaver, um, be it whatever type of graph that is used. And talk about just a little bit. Some use um, what we call a patella tendon graph, which is comes from the kneecap down some have used a quadriceps tendon, which is above the kneecap. Some have used hamstring tendons. Some have used part of the Achilles and wrap them around different ways. But um, we're also a, a product of our environment. So in Jacksonville, most of the surgeons 
have done hamstring or patellar tendon audiographs and or the allographs for somebody that's that's older. But more recently, I've seen a lot more quad tendon graphs, um, which right now they look very promising on getting the strength back quicker than a patellar tendon graph. So they don't have as much um, knee pain as a patellar tendon graph might have, and they don't have as much weakness as you would see with patellar tendon graph or a hamstring graph. So it's, it's something very new for our area, but they've been doing it other places for quite some time. The research is always ongoing. And uh, yeah, that's the one I've heard most recently, the quad, uh, quad tendon uh, graft. And back to your point that, uh, you know, we don't keep them out for, for two years, but a, a seasoned physician once told me it does take about 18 months to, for that graft to, to remodel within its, to get all the nerves, the blood vessels, all the things, components, so it's well healed. And that's why you might see somebody that maybe the first year they're back, they're not, they're very good, but they're not quite what they were. But then the next year you see a, an, an incremental jump in their performance level and well, their confidence and, and other things that, uh, that, that go on and, and they're, you know, rehab's not over. They're continuing to, uh, to, to build in their function. So how do you help people get beyond the grind? You know, sometimes rehab at the early stages can be boring. Sometimes it can be, why am I doing this? And looks like I'm doing some of the same things. So how do we get beyond the grind? Uh, what, what do you do to encourage, motivate, inspire um, them along the way when you see these peaks and valleys of rehab? Um, yeah, it, it, trying to keep it fun. Trying to keep the environment when they come in to the, the clinic or the training room engaging. Um, let them see that their progress is being made. So sometimes we have a lot of patients and we might not be able to keep looking at our objective measures. But even if you just take a range of motion measurement and they'd see that they're five degrees better than they were the week before, or you do a, a strength test with a, a little handheld dynamometer and it shows that they're 10 foot pounds stronger, those little things could help motivate them uh, seeing that they are whatever or their hard work that they're putting in is actually paying off. We talked a little bit about objective measurements. Uh, we were talking about the Biodex, uh, which is a machine that uses to measure uh, strength. And, but a lot of rehab has moved towards um, function. You might be able to score well on the uh, Biodex, but you can't jump up and down three times or you can't hop and land properly. Address the function and the objectivity there sometimes too. Yeah. So at uh, Brooks, we have a motion analysis center, and this is a big room that has um, infrared cameras. We marker the athlete up at, on their joints. And it's a lot like when they create uh, players in Madden. And so we're getting a, a 3D, 360 degree view of them when they're doing some of their jumps and their squats and landings. Uh, and we also have force plates in the ground that measures their ground reaction force. So that's how much force they're actually putting through their leg um, to absorb their weight or how much they're actually generating when they're performing a jump. We compare these side to side so we can give the athlete and also the rehab clinician an idea of, hey, this is some things we might not be able to see with our naked eye, but they're shifting. And if they're shifting towards their 
uninvolved leg and they continue to do this, they might be set up for that injury that can happen on the other side. So we're trying to, to see how they move in a way that we can't see in the clinic. Now, not everybody's going to have a half million dollar motion analysis room. Uh, so there's a lot of apps out there that can at least give you some of idea, like a huddle app or coach's eye. You can at least look at them and slow down the, the rate and determine if they're shifting side to side or if their knee isn't flexing enough when they're landing that can help with your athletes rehab. There's also some force plates. Uh, I say cheap force plates, but I think the cheapest ones we've seen are about a thousand dollars that can show their weight shift side to side. Those all hook up to either an iPad or computer and you can use them for a test or you can actually put it up while they're doing their squat and the athlete can see themselves shifting side to side and correct it. And then now you have them doing it the right way. And hopefully uh, after the repetition, they don't need it anymore and they can perform their squatting and their jumping without the visual feedback. Video analysis is very important in, in today's uh, day and age of iPhones and that you can, can video their, their work. And let's just say we're taking a, a patient and we're just having them do a hop right in front of you. Jump off a, a four inch uh, and land. That's something that you can look at very clearly in the clinic or you can videotape and then you can show this is why this is what we're seeing in the hip or this is what we're seeing in, in the knee or the ankle. And as we look at what we call the, the chain from everything starts at the foot and goes up, you're, you're not just looking at the knee, you're looking at all those different aspects of it along the way. So that obviously that's where your, uh, your motion analysis helps. So let's talk a little bit about prevention programs before they get to you. What what are you seeing the value of those? We'll dovetail that into boys versus girls and what you're seeing in the rehabs and that. So let's talk about prevention first and then the boys versus girls. And The FIFA 11 Plus um, is a very good program. It's free. Uh, you can Google it and pull out the, the chart. Uh, we will do that with our post ACL when, before they go back to playing, right? We don't want that cycle to continue. So after they've passed all their objective criteria, we're going to instruct them in doing the FIFA 11 plus here in the clinic before they go back to playing their sport and encourage them to do it a couple of times a week. It has been proven in research to help decrease the amount of knee injuries. The only problem is if the coach doesn't buy in. So if the coach does not want to waste the 15 minutes, if they consider it a waste of 15 minutes of their practice to get the FIFA 11 plus a shot as part of their warmup, then you won't have, they'll, they'll drop off. They'll do it a couple of weeks and then they go back to doing their other stuff and injury rates increase. So that I highly encourage any ATs, or PTs or athletes listening to this to Google FIFA 11 plus and try to incorporate those warmups and exercises into your weekly. Um, if you want to do it every day, great. I try to get my kids to do it. They're 14 and 12. So they're in the, the garage gym. There's the FIFA 11 plus is written up on the board and they know to do it 
a couple times a week. They don't want dad coming hey. home and asking if they can do it or not. <laughs> you get your allowance based upon your, your doing. That's your right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And you'd recommend this for anybody that is uh, involved in a sport where your foot leaves the ground and lands, right? Because yes. it, it yeah. could be volleyball, basketball, uh, but it can be any any track and field events, um, soccer, obviously. So, what what sports are you seeing uh, high level of AC injuries in today? Um, you know, it's it's seasonal, right? So you'll see them come and go based off of who's in season. You know, soccer, lacrosse, uh, basketball, football. Occasionally, we will see volleyball, but not as much as I would think they would be. But those are our big four that we're seeing is in in the clinic with ACL injuries. If it's give us your opinion on um, sports specialization versus uh, participating in a variety of sports. I, I don't know how many uh, world renowned orthopedists have come out and said that you should not specialize in a sport, but that's the way of the world right now. If you they've convinced parents that little Johnny or little Jane if they play soccer or baseball or whatever sport year round, they have a better chance of making a scholarship someplace. I, I just don't see how that's going to benefit the athlete, not just from an injury standpoint, but them getting burned out playing the same thing over and over. Um, how do you know that little Johnny or Jane is the best soccer player if they don't try maybe playing tennis or volleyball? I encourage my kids to to do multiple sports. It's fun to learn something new and it can also help you in the sport that you love the best. Um, if you run track, you can run track in your off season. That'll make you faster in soccer. That'll make you faster in football. Lacrosse is a great uh, crossover sport for soccer or football. It's a shame that we, we come to this where we have kids that have to choose what sport they want to play at 12 years old. And when I was in high school, and I'm going back, I'm an old man, but we didn't have people that specialized in sports. You'd have people that went from football to either basketball or soccer to baseball to track. And then that cycle started over again. Maybe it's just me, me remembering it wrong, but I don't remember anybody tearing their ACL or that many times as much as it's now. Maybe it's just because I'm in the profession that I see all these ACL injuries, but I don't think at our high school we had one person tear their ACL when I was a no, senior. I did not. I did not see my first ACL until uh, college. Um, even hearing about it, and that that was again back in the days where they filleted them from almost the middle of the thigh <laughs> down to the middle of the shin uh, to open them up, and that. So you had about a good twelve-inch uh, scar on. So that dates me, Fred. I'm older than you. But, um, you know, this is uh, this is this is very informative and very helpful, uh, I think, to our audience today. And uh, so any um, any any closing comments, any thoughts you'd like to to share before we we finish up here? If you are working with ACL rehab, if you are a patient that had an ACL injury, make sure that you are comfortable with your strength and comfortable with your, you feel like your ability to return. I tell my students the three things to know when you're ready to clear somebody. Are they psychologically ready? Are they physiologically ready? 
And have they completed all of their rehab and return to sport criteria? So if you can check all three of those boxes, you can have a little bit uh, better feeling about your athlete returning back to sport. Excellent insight, Fred. I appreciate all your your thoughts here, your wisdom, your experience in that. I think all this is helpful for uh, certified athletic trainers, physical therapists, uh, parents, coaches, um, being aware, looking at preventative programs and getting the most out of, of your rehab. So we'll post some of these things on our show notes, uh, the information about the prevention program and Fred's contact information if you'd like to be in touch uh, with the Brooks Center for Sports Therapy. So we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Youth Sports Safety Update. JSMP is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. Please share what you have learned and implement to make sports and those who participate safer. One way is to make sure your school or sports team is safely prepared is to have a certified athletic trainer present for all activities. Please subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and for more information, go to our website at jaxsmp.com. The Youth Sports Safety Update is produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program. Your host and producer today is Jim Mackey. Join us again soon, and thank you very much. Stay safe. Stay safe.